Good morning. I don't speak Latin, but I do know a Latin phrase, post tenebris lux. It means, after darkness, light. Post-Tenebris Lux became the catch cry of the reformers during the 1500s and the 1600s as they were labouring to try and bring purity of the gospel back to the church. You see, for thousands of years, Christianity had grown increasingly clerical and religious and had lost sight of the foundational realities that formed us. Realities that at Easter we've drawn together to remember in particular. Doctrine is important. It is. Truths are important. But the Christian faith isn't built on doctrinal statements. It's built on actual events with actual people, many of which we remember on a day like today that were gathered around an actual table that may have looked a bit like this. We, we know the end of the story of Easter, don't we? I mean, we come on Friday and we talk about death and we talk about darkness. But we know this side of the cross how the story ends. We know that in a couple of days' time we're going to be back in this room, many of us. I hope all of us and maybe even more. But we'll be back here in a couple of days and the, the tone of the service will look different. Because Friday is a part of the story, but we know that Sunday is also. But what must have it been like for Jesus and his friends as they gathered around a table like this? So it is right that on Friday, we recall the darkness of the story. Something about our human nature wants us to move past darkness quickly. We like it when we get to the good parts of stories. We like it when there's happy endings. We like it when everything turns out just the way it's meant to turn out. And so we're tempted to skip past the darkness to get to the light. But isn't it true that we never really appreciate light until we've sat in the darkness for a little while? We will never truly embrace the light of God's grace in the story of Easter until we first open our eyes to the darkness that we must face within ourselves even. I want to read to you from Luke chapter 22, verse 7. I'm going to put it on the screen, but if you have your Bibles, I would really love it if you could follow along with me. Luke chapter 22, starting from verse 7, says this. 
Then the day of unleavened bread came, when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. Listen, he said to them, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a water jug will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters. Tell the owner of the house, the teacher asks you, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large furnished room upstairs. Make the preparations there. So they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Skip down to verse 14. That's the next verse, so go there. (laughs) When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now skip some verses and go to verse 21. But look... The hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined, but woe to that man to whom he is betrayed. So they began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do it. Go down to verse 31. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny me three times that you know me. Get into verse 39. He went out and made his way as usual to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed him. And when he reached the place, he told them, pray that you may not fall into temptation. And then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and began to pray. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Being in anguish, he prayed more fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he got up from prayer and came to the disciples, he found them sleeping, exhausted from their grief. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, suddenly a mob came. One of the twelve named Judas, was leading them. He came near Jesus to kiss him. Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was about to happen, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? And then one of them struck the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. Jesus responded, no more of this. And touching his ear, he healed him. And then Jesus said to the chief priests, temple police, the elders who had come for him, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal? 
Every day while I was with you in the temple, you never laid a hand on me. But this is your hour and the dominion of darkness. They seized him, led him away and brought him to the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looking closely at him, he said, this man was with him too. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him since he is also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the words of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Jesus knew it. This is the time of darkness. Just consider as the afternoon shadows grow long across the city. In every household, the grisly business of slaughtering the Passover lamb was taking place. Not as easy as it is for us today. No prepared cut of meat. No vacuum-sealed roast just to pop into the oven. This was a hands-on and messy business. In a particular place, a borrowed room, interesting, isn't it? A borrowed room. Soon it would be a borrowed tomb. But in a borrowed room, Peter and John were putting the finishing touches on a feast that they had celebrated every year since they'd been born. Their fathers had celebrated it before them. Their fathers' fathers had celebrated it before them, all the way back throughout the generations, all the way back to the exodus from Egypt. Every generation had slaughtered a lamb on the anniversary of their salvation by the Lord's mighty arm, rescuing them from slavery and bringing them into the promised land. And one by one, the other disciples arrived with Jesus and sat around a low table in a borrowed room. I'm not sure that they fully grasped the reality that they were sharing a Passover meal with the Passover Lamb of God. I'm not sure that they were really aware of just how significant it was that as they shared that meal together, they were sharing it with the God who had rescued them from slavery and who was about to rescue the souls of man throughout the entire world. So with just a sputtering candle to light the room, maybe... These unlikely friends shared a meal 
probably fairly indistinguishable from all the other Passover meals that they had ever shared together, but it is the one meal that has become famous today, and we refer to it as the Last Supper, don't we? But to them, maybe it was just another meal, shared in a low-lit room, remembering their rescue. Every story of redemption begins in darkness. Every story of rescue begins in darkness. Even our stories. I wonder as the, the light got darker in that room, as night started to fall, we start to see that it's not just physical darkness that is taking place in this story, but there's a darkness of humanity's rebellion which is starting to press in on this story. Everything was about to change. And we come to the issue of betrayal. So first there's darkness and now there's betrayal. I think the true, the true darkness of this story, even the true tone, that the somber tones that occur on a, on a Good Friday celebration like today, it's because we have to come to grips with our betrayal of the Son of God. It's not easy to come to terms with that. We, God's children, God's creation, turned on their creator and betrayed him. Some might see the surface events of this story and just call them circumstantial. One thing that led to another, a chain of events that finished in tragedy. But this was God's plan from the very beginning. Jesus had set his face towards this moment. He had ordered his steps to lead him to this very point. Earlier in his life, people had tried to take his life on one occasion. He said, now is not the time. And he just moved on. But now the time had come. Now the darkness was falling on Jesus in all its fury. Think for a moment about the story of Judas. This friend of Jesus who had traveled with him. We all know about the idea of a Judas's kiss, don't we? That mocking sign of affection that paints a target on someone's back. It's part of our vocabulary, our terminology even today. But Judas wasn't the only traitor in that room. They all ran. When the mob came, when the pressure came, when the fear rose, they all ran. They all abandoned him. They all turned their back on him. And so Judas, sitting at a table like this, breaks bread with the Son of God, even while making a deal with the devil. 30 pieces of silver, the going price for a slave, was all it took to reveal who his heart was truly enslaved to. Or what about Peter's betrayal? I'll never leave you, Jesus. <laughs> I'll never leave you. 
even when everybody else falls away, I will stay. I will go to prison with you. I will go to death with you. Ever made pacts with God like that? I'll never do this again, God. If you just... If you just fix this for me, if you just involve yourself, if you just rescue me, I will do this. Or I'll never leave you, Jesus. When everybody else does, I'll stay. It's amazing what the comfort of a fire will do. Peter sitting around a fireplace on a cool evening with Jesus just over there being tried falsely. And Peter warms himself by a fire three times. You're with him, right? And I don't know what you're talking about. Did you, hear, did you even hear the tone in how Peter's responding? He, he's distancing himself. I'm just, I'm, look, I'm just sitting here near the fire. Don't involve me in what's going on, all right? A little bit later, surely you, you're with him, right? I know, I've seen you around. You're with him. I am not with him. Of course you're with him. You've got the same accent as him. You're from Galilee, just like he is. Some of the other gospels say that Peter drew up all of his sailors' curses. Just to prove, I think, just how much he wasn't with Jesus. The very Peter who I imagine had stood on a boat many times, staring down the storms that sweep across the Galilean Sea, could only avert his eyes and look into the embers of a fire. When a servant girl says, surely you're with him. Peter too betrays Jesus. At what cost though? wasn't 30 pieces of silver, that's Judas's price. But I wonder if it cost Peter something more. I wonder if our betrayal costs us something more, something priceless, something not so easily repaid. And then, of course, we come to the part of the story where Jesus is led away. This Easter Friday, as we recall and remember The death of Jesus. We know that death is an unnatural thing. We spend our entire lives running from it. Fearing it. There's a horror to death. Only hours earlier, remember, thousands of Jewish families had just slaughtered a lamb so that they could put it on their table and remember their rescue. And now the the true, spotless, unblemished Lamb of God would face the same fate. Jesus would be mocked publicly. He would be tortured horrendously. He'd be hung up in shame, crucified. The one who knew no sin became sin and absorbed the just punishment that we deserve. Do you remember the cousin of Jesus? His name was John. 
might know him as John the Baptist. Years earlier, he'd been out baptising in the waters of the, Gal- of, of the Jordan River that flew out of the Galilee Sea, and Jesus came walking down towards the river. John recognised him for who he was, and he called to the crowds and he pointed at him. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And now this Lamb of God was being slain for us, the darkest night in human history. The day that creation rallied together to kill their creator. But today we gather and we know the story. And we join John and we say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because there is hope in this story. In the midst of all the darkness and betrayal and death, there is hope. If you have eyes to see it, it can be seen. The the thorns that got woven together to mock Jesus was placed on his head and he wore it as a crown because he is a king. Even the charges that were laid against him and nailed to the cross above him to act as an accusing phrase became the first billboard of the grace of the gospel. Here is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And so he was. And so he is. All all the hordes of darkness close in on Jesus. Triumphantly, with a great crescendo, they rally their cries against Jesus to condemn. And three words pierce the darkness and kill the rage of Satan, and Jesus simply says, it is finished. In that moment, the night was starting to draw to a close, and dawn is about to break in this story. New stories would be written, stories that we might read to our children that echo the themes of this, stories of Stone tables of deeper magic. Traitors would be redeemed. Sinners would be pardoned. A lamb would soon be seen again, but this time he wouldn't come as a lamb, he'd come as a lion. And the night is closing. It's coming to an end. Darkness and death do not have the final word in this story. This is Easter Friday. And it's a time of darkness and betrayal. And it's a time of death. And maybe that's been your story so far. Maybe you've walked in here today and you've thought, my story has been a story of darkness. It's been a story of betrayal. It's been a story where I... I've experienced the suffering and pain and death of this world. 
I want you to remember the, the fact that Easter Sunday is just around the corner. And that's a time of light and a time of reconciliation and a time of life. And maybe you feel that darkness reigns in your life right now, but your story can change. But it starts here. It starts on Friday. It starts with an acknowledgement that we are in the darkness and unless the light comes, that's where we will remain. It starts by pointing to the Lamb and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who's taken my sin. So we're going to behold him shortly in the emblems. We do this every week in this church. I'm glad we do. But we gather and we recall the price that must be paid for sin. A lamb who had to be slain. And so we're going to take bread and we're going to take juice, the fruit of the vine. And there are tables set up, one on either side and one at the back. There'll be someone there to serve you. But this morning, these are symbols to draw our attention towards the lamb, the one who was slain, his body broken and his blood shed. And we will remember and recall together. This is an invitation for those of you who know Jesus as your savior already. Maybe this morning you would prefer just to sit and you're wondering what this all means. That's okay. Sit with Jesus for a little while. And maybe you still feel like you're sitting in the darkness. Then call out to him. Because the lamb who was slain on the Friday is the same lamb who was raised victoriously on the Sunday. He brings hope to dark stories and he can bring them to yours. If you have found this hope, then I'm going to invite you. As the band comes back up, we're going to sing a song, a couple of songs together to finish. But this is a time for you to move just maybe to the back and then come down the sides. Take some bread or cracker, some juice. And in doing so, we will remember Jesus. Because on that very night, as he gathered with his friends, this is what Jesus said. Then he took a cup. And after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. So even on Easter Friday, as the story is dark, we look forward to the hope of what God has done in Christ. And we will gather and we will remember him. Let's do that together now.